So hello everybody and welcome to our special 50th episode special. Joining us is Matt Thompson. A lot of you will have heard of him from the past. And as always, it's me, Philip Mundy and Ian Joseph. Today we're going to talk to Matt about his time at the club, some of the ongoing issues in rugby, some of the looks of the future and hopefully have a few stories thrown in. So we're delighted to have him. We're extremely grateful. And as we sit here, if you hear a bit of noise in the background, it's because there's a, an academy match for the rugby league going on in the background. So you might hear the odd whoop and holler if we're doing well. So um, brief instruction to Matt. For those of you that answer or favour the Falcons as we are, he, according to Wikipedia, he's had 136 caps, but allegedly it's a few more. Just a while, a couple. <laughs> And in his time there, he uh, bagged 11 tries. And also, his father is involved from the club. He's uh, current chairman. who's obviously involved in the past as well. So it gives us a really good insight as to the club and how we're doing. So, unfortunately, there's been a bit more bad news this week. And we'd like to dedicate this episode to not only Blackie, but also Inga Twigger Marlin, my boyhood hero. And I think I can say for all of us that we're absolutely gutted with the news of the last week. And uh, Matt's just going to say a couple of words about his experience with the two of them. Yeah, absolutely devastated. Um, Blackie and Inga, two legends of the club and the North East, really. What a character both of them were. I'd had experience of Blackie for about seven years um, within the club as SNC coach. He used to take all the gym stuff with Bob Morton. Um, he was also Rob, Rob Andrews' sort of confidant at the time and uh, obviously it had a huge influence on Johnny Wilkinson's career one thing I would say about Blackie is you, you could look, well we did once lose against Leicester I think Rob Andrew fielded the youngest ever Falcons team I think the average age was 21-22 there was the likes of myself Matthew Tate Toby Flood uh, Lee Dixon Ed Williamson Jeff Pollan Andy Boost it was a really young side and we got hammered I think 86 86-96 nil I and listened to that one on the radio yeah <laughs> it was not a good game and uh, on the Monday Blackie brought us in and you know what after that meeting you walked out and you felt a million dollars just the way he spoke to you the way the positivity that just effervesced off him was amazing. Uh, it's such a sad loss, really. Uh, there's just so much to say about the bloke, and I think it's just sad news, really, isn't it? Inge, I mean, I, pl- I played with him, I think, for, I-, I don't know if it was one season or two seasons when I-, I first joined the club. And you know what? As a young 17, 18-year-old coming to training with all these sort of legends of the game, he would just put your arm around you, say, how are you doing? If you need anything, come and chat to us, or, or whatever. Such a kind, softly-spoken man. Um, but then you wouldn't think he, uh, he would sort of, when he, he'd get on the pitch, he sort of, wreck, he was a wrecking ball, wasn't he? And uh, mm-hmm. such a skillful, talented player, but when you needed a run through a brick wall, he was the man to do it. Uh, I believe he won the, the league with the Falcons, didn't he? In such an amazing team that was full of superstars. So, yeah. I used to love it when you would you'd see opposition players run towards him with the ball and they would just throw it out rather than risk a, a tackle <laughs> yeah. from Inga. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, same with Philip. He was, he was my hero growing. He was my sort of first, not just rugby sporting hero, when I first started to go to the Falcons when I was six. You know, he wasn't the big, he wasn't the star player. He was a big yeah. man. I loved it. Absolutely. He, he uh, I remember being a ball boy because I used to be at Newcastle Gosforth as a, a, a mini rugby and uh, we, we used to come over and get invited to be ball boys and we were playing Sale, I believe, and they had a winger called Vaughan. I can't remember his first name and Inga hit him once and it was the, being an eight, nine, ten-year-old, not sure if I remember sitting there thinking, wow, I don't think rugby's for me. And Vaughan stayed down for a couple of minutes, got back up, and literally the next play, Inga did it again. Exact same, even bigger hit. I remember looking, it was right beside me as a ball, uh, a ball boy, and it was the loudest, biggest collision I have ever witnessed. And then Vaughan has stayed down and he got stretched. <laughs> he, could certainly, oh, no. he could certainly get around the park. And um, we had a brief chat before this that um, my parents went to church in Pontyland and there's a thing at the Methodist Church in Pontyland where not only could he read out all the books of the Bible in order in under a minute, but he told a story about how some second row from somewhere had punched him as hard as he could. He looked back, grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and said, God bless you. And I think hopefully the God's out there and him and Blackie are having a pint in heaven together. Yeah. Because um, yeah, that's what it's all about. So this, this episode's for, for them. 
So yeah, my, I mean, you were at the club for a very long time. Um, personally, I think my best memory of sort of your period of playing, if I can put it that way, was, well, the 2004 Paris Grand Cup final at Twickenham. Um, not just sporting or focus memory, but it was one of the best days of my life as a 13-year-old. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, so, I mean, that must be obviously a great memory for yourself. But along with that cup final, are there any other particularly good playing memories which you can tell us about? Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that for me, that cup final, the game was so exciting because it... it Toon Road, yeah. uh, and I think we scored in the last four minutes. So yeah. Phil Dowson scored a pick and, pick and go in the last four minutes, and then we held on for uh, for that victory. That was the first big win I'd had playing at the club. I'd, I had been in the stands when Dave Walder had scored that, that um, and that was at the Power Gen Cup yeah, final as well. 2001. Was it called Power Gen? Tetley's bit. My granny had the seat covered to Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. So, um, that was the first bit, and I think that was the first time a club or two clubs had filled Twickenham for a cup final, and the atmosphere was unbelievable. It's probably the last time as well. I remember, yeah, I remember Rob Andrews saying, "Why can't it be like Kings, that Kingston Park every week?" Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, that was that was a great memory. Playing the quarterfinal Heineken Cup in the Stade de France was amazing. Really, the whole weekend. I mean, we got we got pumped. I think by 50 points and th- there's um, no harm in saying they were the Galacticos of rugby at the time had a load of superstars and we were sort of um, a growing aspiring team at the time Matt Burke was sort of so to speak the leader of mm. us he was the superstar at the time and he, he was superb but yeah we, we lost by 50 but the whole experience of the of the week with a full stadium uh, I call them the can-can girls you know the ones with the big oh, yeah, yeah. and when, they were, when we were coming out there was flares going off we got police uh, escort to the stadium the stadium was just rambling and everything I, I, I really really uh, have fond memories of that even though result wasn't the right one do you think the build up for that game like you just described might have affected you all mentally or was it just no, a million I think times were, better I then? think they were a million times better than it's to be honest uh, they had what, did they have Hernandez yeah, he scored five brilliant. tries I think the Argentinian well, uh, he was pretty pretty flair no I think they were just a lot lot better than us but I do um, remember that's a really good results in the group stage of that obviously yeah, well yeah. to get the quarter I think final, we beat Perpignan yeah. twice or uh, definitely beat them at home uh, yeah we had some some great results yeah. uh, I think we were undefeated at, at Kingston Park in the group stages and that's what got us through the uh, promotion promotional sort of uh, thing when we uh, when we went undefeated in the in the champ that year was quite special even though we didn't really want to be there the uh, I think it was two years before we'd survived relegation uh, we got beat off Bath uh, but we were waiting on a Leeds Northampton score mm. and we were hu- in a huddle in the middle of the wreck and we had our uh, John Stoker was uh, on the phone I believe to his dad telling us the results coming in and we it felt like hours waiting for the results to come in their game had been delayed by a while uh, and Northampton had come back from about 20 points down they brought all their internationals on <laughs> And they ended up winning the game in the last minute. The emotion of that, I will never forget in that huddle. It, uh, it was just, there was people crying, there was people hugging each other, everything. And I know it, it, it's it's a, it's possibly not a, a memory you want because we're avoiding relegation, but the camaraderie of the lads, we were always tight and just the whole emotion of the day, I remember like it was yesterday. Um, and I've got a vaguely similar memory to that, obviously, actually completely different but I remember the last game of one season was it away at Headingley when yeah. I remember watching it on CFAX before you had the internet and things at home and I think it was Hall Charlton scored the last mm. play of the game by darting down the blind side and mm-hmm. it was hours was after the game should have finished and mum was just saying let's turn it off we're relegated go to bed and then suddenly the score updated and then it said full time I couldn't work out it was a mistake were you in that, involved yeah, in that yeah I was match? involved in that match as well yeah was that not the battle of the fly-offs? They'd, they'd marketed it as Johnny versus Braun Van Straten, the battle of the kickers. I believe that was the match. And uh, they'd gone toe-to-toe on kicking. Then Hall whizzed down the blind yeah. side, scampered down <laughs> the, 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 the blind side to score last play of the game. So it was, and it, yeah, Games like that, you remember. I think that kept us up when it saw the end of Leeds. <laughs> yeah. 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 Unfortunate for them, they're plummeting now as well. So, yeah. so um, obviously you've spoken about some fantastic memories and some of the boys you played with. Um, is there a group of you that still keep in contact? We've all got a bond of past teammates, even at amateur level. At the, at the pro level, is it the same way? You... Yeah, we uh, sort of you move on and uh, sort of you, you know, I've had kids. But yeah, I, I speak to uh, a few of the boys. Uh, Matty Shields, I'm very good friends with. He was in the academy. 
alongside me. Uh, I grew up with a couple of lads in the academy that I went to school with. I'm still very poly with them. Uh, Jeff Paulin speak to. I was recently, two days ago, speaking with Davey Wilson because me and his son were at the Falcons half-term camp. We were having a good chat about the good old days. If anyone needs a good physio, Davey's, uh, Davey's looking because he's, quali- he's just recently or, or soon to be qualified physio, so give him a shout. It was a, it was a funny end of his career because we touched on it in a podcast a while ago that he, there wasn't a fanfare when he departed or anything. He'd been no, an England think, player, yeah, so yeah. I feel it was a bit of a shame that he didn't get a departure like some other players get. I mean, he, he was a, a club legend, I think. So, obviously, uh, you mentioned my dad's relationship relationship within the club and my my dad always says the biggest mistake or one of the biggest mistakes he made was to sign Carl Heyman because Carl Heyman was a legend of a player and he did really well for us but he was um he would have become a real real Falcons legend bigger than bigger than what he uh, is now already but he he would have played for England he would have been a, a folk hero around these parts and that's one of my dad's sort of many regrets so to speak but yeah speak to Davey uh, Warren Fury I'm regular contact with I'll have a couple of Sappuccinos <laughs> and then um, he lives in, in, in Wales now and then uh, I'm very good friends with a lad called Simon Azokwe who recently left I think two three years ago uh, and he's playing at one of my old clubs at Elam. Uh doing really well down there getting in championship team teams of the week it's a handy back row wasn't yeah, it yeah very good dynamic ball carrier shame he's not back up here I think we could do with him to be honest oh, yeah. injuries at the minute we might, yeah. might be calling them yeah. yeah exactly yeah so yeah on, on the podcast you know we do like to try and ask the really hard hitting questions and something which our listeners are absolutely desperate to know um, and I'm sure is firstly well who was Flash? So, I can't remember his name, but I know that he used to come and dress up, and I'm sure he used to work for Wigan as well. And I can't remember his name. The person you want to ask is either Melanie McGee or Mick Hogan, because they will definitely know who Flash originally was. He was the main man, really. So, uh, I mean, I've had a go at Flash. Uh, me and Carl Heyman once, uh, we, we weren't playing in the last game of the season down at Worcester, and... Um, we decided, we thought we would make a little jolly of it and we got in his VW van, decided to drive down to Worcester with Flash the Falcon and we we're going to see if we could get next to the pitch and uh, be the, the mascot. And as we got down to Worcester, Carl, I'd fallen asleep and Carl decided to keep on driving. And uh, when I woke up, we were in uh, Cornwall and uh, he decided to sack the game off and uh, sack supporting the lads off and go for a surfing trip instead. So we were He's down... Antipodeans. Yeah. <laughs> so we were down there for a week instead and as you can imagine, not telling my girlfriend at the time that where we were going, getting back after a week, she was a little bit frosty. So, so you uh, keep the flash hat on and didn't yeah, let yeah. her know about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I got home and then got told to leave, leave the uh, house and I had to sleep in Carl's VW van for the next two days until I came back with flowers and chocolates was it a night out on the strips moan Nuki or something with the flash suit on do you know what it wasn't even that we just parked up in this beautiful bay in the middle of nowhere and we were barbecuing and surfing or I was trying to surf Carl was actually so just go to some random pub somewhere and just have a, have a drink and then go back and, and it, it lasted f- five six days and then well, we that, decided that's to the politically back. correct story is it <laughs> yeah yeah that's what we're telling everyone anyway <laughs> Steve Bates wasn't too happy when he realised his number one signing wasn't there for the end end of season due and the golf day and the uh, sponsors due. So, um, so you've told us a bit about during your career. After your career, you, you obviously went to Ealing for a season or two. Do you find that there's a big problem with, with not just rugby but in sport about people getting spat out the other end when it comes to often in rugby an unceremonious end, an injury or whatever? And are you prepared for it mentally? Are you physically crocked? And do you know what you want to do with your life at the age of mid-30s when suddenly there's not what you've been accustomed to for the last 15, 20 years in front of you? Yeah, so I was lucky that I decided there my career, not injury. My body hadn't, was on the verge of giving up, but I said no. So, but I feel sorry for the certain lads. Uh, I mean, there's loads these days with it, with the intensity of the rugby that goes on now that it's sudden injuries that end their, end their careers and possibly they haven't planned certain a very small percentage that now can retire after their career um so there's got to be a plan in place the um rpa uh, do do a reasonable job with assisting you along the way trying to train you up in certain certain areas uh, i know uh, there's an ex-player called mike mccarthy who played for ireland a lot of times in leinster he was uh, the region uh, region's local RPA rep and he did a really good job with the boys sort of um, helping them in any way shape that, that he, he could 
training them up, going to university, getting them work placement. But for me, the hardest thing about finishing rugby is you miss the camaraderie. And essentially, for 14 years, you're a big kid. You, 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 you rock him to work with four, 40 other big kids and you've got to switch on for an hour and a half, two hours while we're training. And the rest of the time you're hanging around with each other. It's just like being back to school again. And, and then you go from that to possibly nothing or, a, or, a, or a, a work environment that you've got to be, you can't be sort of putting sardines in people's shoes and, and, and doing practical jokes everywhere. You've got to be serious and, 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 and you miss you miss that. And it's um, you can't do that anymore. You can't just mess around. You haven't got forty lads just to sort of have that have that banter with. So for me, that was quite hard. I kind of knew what I, w- I wanted to do, but as you say, the the hardest thing would be for young lads who get career-ending injuries that possibly haven't trained up and, and they get spat out really because a lot of them are expensive commodities, and if they're no good. Thank you very much, but you you you've got to find your own way. And does the Falcons or rugby clubs in general might be Falcons different? Do they see their players as a commodity for, for a finite time period, or do they actually think we've got the welfare of these people at heart? And if you have that sort of pathway in place at a club, then people might be more inclined to go to you. Well, I think it's 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 a bit of both, really. It's it, this is a business, but yeah, you've got to look after after your uh, your players. You've got to make the rugby club a positive place to want to come. The rugby community is a small community. If you do not make this rugby club a likable place to be, other players will not want to come. Young players won't want to come. So as well, you can't just keep someone on a contract. For uh, to fulfil the contract for the next three years, if the the uh, no use no ornament kind of thing. So you, you, I would say it's a bit of both. So I guess uh, in terms of post playing career, um, are you still involved in the game or in the club in any way? So coaching perhaps at a yeah. local level or remain involved with the club in some form or another? So I um I just work up the road at Drew Park. I own a facility there where we've got rugby football played there. So I coach my young young two young kids under 12s and under 10s at Northern uh, and there's a load of other uh, sports going on up there we've got a pub and some offices but with other rugby I used to coach Bladham just missed out on promotion with them it was close season got lost in the playoffs to try and get them I think it was up to Nat 2 and then I moved on and now I'm at really happy at Gateshead uh, boys doing really well unfortunately I went and the season I went halfway through I think it got stopped with Covid really hard for the boys we struggled or we we tried as a club to uh, keep the boys entertained and want to come back to their rugby club rather than find another sport I feared that we would lose them all to cycling Hmm. and um, individual sports that you potentially could have done during lockdown Uh, but the boys did well I'm really enjoying it now I'm head coach there so and I still have the bath. I remember that was one of my favourite things. My I played at God, <laughs> that is that is ground zero for uh, COVID. <laughs> it is the most repulsive thing ever. And some of the some of the rugby players that get in there are disgusting as well. There's Dave Hardy. There's a Dave Hardy gets in there, does all sorts in there. Matty Butler. They regularly drink. I don't know why they drink beers in there as well. It's the worst place in the world. It was brilliant fun though, and I remember it must have been seventeen or eighteen in my first season at Pontian first team and the trepidation of going into the bath and then once you've done it one year it's, it's fine after that but then you see the new cults coming through all themselves before they go in yeah exactly <laughs> it's the it's the nervousness of um just dipping your toe in so to speak and once you're in you're all well, right you can't see the bottom because it's so muddy <laughs> don't... god i don't think the bottom's ever been cleaned i think i don't think the plug holes come out it's just the same water <laughs> just topped up with a little bit of hot <laughs> So, no, I, you'll never find me in that. Shower's good enough for me, thanks. Um, so, obviously, you had your career, started in the early 2000s playing professionally. And if we look at just rugby back then, it was, I think you were just about cotton shirt era. Yes, but, I was, yeah. But now you look at it when you've got um, all the technology and everything else alongside it. Do you think the game's got better or worse for that? And what would you say the biggest changes are since your day in terms of tactics, professionalism and all the rest of it? Oof, right, okay. Has the game got better? I think the current Falcons team would beat my first Falcons team. By 60 points. Uh, skill levels through the roof. You see the likes of Adam Brocklebank throwing a 30-meter left-handed pass, right-handed pass, whatever. They, they, they've got everything. Now, as well as 
unbelievably physical, fit. The speed of the game is through the roof. And it wasn't, it, it, it's just how it's developed over the years. It's not to say that back, back in the day, there were all bad players. It's just, they've been sort of um, opened up to better S&C. Uh, they're starting S&C earlier. At the strength ages, and conditioning, is yeah, it? Yeah, strength and conditioning. At the ages of 15 at some of these schools. At, mm. at university, I know uh, a good friend of mine, Nez, is um, forwards coach at Durham University. That is a professional environment, Durham University. They've just got to go to lectures when they train six times a, times a week. And then they're going from that into Newcastle Falcons. And, and, and I know um, Durham, Newcastle, Northumbria, Daz Ferns at, at, at Newcastle, he was at Northumbria. They trained them so hard. When I was at university, the training was twice a week and drinking three nights a week. So there, there's the difference. These athletes are mm. just, they're, they're athletes now rather than <coughs> students, Students, mm. essentially. Yeah. Uh, the, how's the game changed? I think just skill level, speed of the game, intensity. Uh, obviously, there's, there's been rule changes to help or hinder them, however you want to see it. Scrums, totally different. I remember we used to take a run and jump in on the engage. And obviously, then a season, there was ridiculous amount of collapse uh, scrums. So they changed it to crowd pause, engage kind of thing. And it, it's almost a different sport from 15 years ago. And I always say the same when the worst commentator in rugby for me is Brian Moore, because he always takes it back to his day. He always goes, oh, well, he hasn't hooked the ball in this scrum. I sit there and think, because probably he couldn't, because there's that much pressure mm. going through you that if you collapse, you'll dislocate your hip. So you've got to feed it. And it's it's not so much a hooker's role. A, a, a hooker it now is almost another prop, just pushing as hard as you can, keeping the whole thing together. Second rules, the shape of second rules have changed. I'll keep on repeating myself. It's a different game. It's a totally different game to 15 years ago. Even when Johnny won the World Cup in 2003, it's, it's, it's mm. totally different. I suppose even in that squad, you had some of the players with the tail end of the amateur era that were still hanging yeah. about. And now everyone's had 10, 20 years or however long, and it's all been professional. Yeah. These, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I remember my my uh, first or second away game, we were sat in the hotel, and the likes of uh, George Graham, Marius Herter, Doddy Weir, Gareth Archer went downstairs in the, the lobby and had six points. And I'm... Just the night before or after the game? Before. Before the game. <laughs> six points and I'm sort of like this young budding 18 year old thinking should I be doing that like what I, I wasn't sure but it was just the way they sort of mm. knew what what rugby was and 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 was it a bad thing or a good thing no I just think it was their thing that's how they've been brought up with it our coach Gated lads they have a couple of pints before the game the night before the game is it right or wrong no it's not it's just the, hmm. their level and I guess if the opposition does it as well then it's not a disadvantage no exactly <laughs> the uh, one of the lads will the next two point two pointers and um, thinks it's energy for the next morning it's not so much the game has changed but it's also the level you're at and what you do it for the Falcons boys do it for a living and and if they don't perform they don't get a living in two years time but these boys do it for fun and if fun means necking two pints before the game or going in the gateshead bath or catching covid like in that <laughs> yeah. thing or whatever else is in there yeah like that's fun for them so let them do it and, and rugby is about sort of enjoying it and then in terms of the tactics obviously you've been on the, the highest level and Ian and I rant and rail every week about box kicks and some of the other things that go on. Can you just explain from a professional level why teams feel the need to kick the ball back to the opposition all the time? You can't concede a try if you've got the ball. Yep. So uh, what I, is the is it territorial? Can, or what, what, yeah, I'll let, I'll I can let see, you talk. I can see your side of things, and I am I verge on the side of your way of thinking. And, I mean, this is a long conversation we could have now because there's a numerous things that make teams kick the ball our defense is better our attacks worse has the 50 22 rule uh, 22 rule been beneficial mm -hmm. or not you don't know but i would say saracen started the box kick in their eras uh, in four or five years ago maybe where they had a scrum off in richard wigglesworth mm -hmm. that was the best scrum off kicker in the world and he could put it on a six sixpence down there and they went and come competed for it and the vast majority of the time they got territorial gain or a plus or an advantage from that kick and then then they started playing in when they're in their territory why waste energy in your half when it's so economical mm. to get the ball into into mm. the opposition's half but i now would class definitely the premiership as not so much it still is a results driven sport but it's also more of an entertaining sport mm. because they've closed the league off so especially for newcastle who 
possibly hasn't got the biggest crowds. We want to bring more people to the ground to grow the club, to grow the sport in the in the region. Uh, is box kicking the best way to do it? I don't think it is. I think it would be to move the ball around a bit like Super 15 rugby, a bit like what Exeter did, keep the ball for 20 phases and wear the teams out. And and the more I see Adam Radwine, Ben Stevenson with their hands on the ball, the better it is for me because those are the players where I get up off my seat up here and and get excited. And I think that's that's how I would like to see. That's how we're Falcons start yeah. playing. Yeah, you, you get kind of that intake of breath and that excitement when the ball gets those players and you can see in the crowd they've got half a yard of space and what are they going to do with it? Yeah. You don't get that when someone kicks it 60 well, yards a, in the air. It's the flip side, isn't it? You hear the audible sighs, you know, when they've done yeah. six bucks kicking around. Uh, uh, where, what game was it? It wasn't Exeter, it was, who was the game before Exeter? When we had two minutes and we had to score a try to um, get a bonus point and we decided to box kick it on our halfway line because we'd almost ran out of ideas. For me, that is unbelievably frustrating. We should we should be moving the ball around. And when I've seen them move the ball around, they're very capable at doing that. And I would like to just see them do it more. There's there's a number of occasions in the 22, when we're in the 22, it takes five, six seconds to set up a box kick. By that time, the defensive line, they've dropped four or five people back anyway. So why not just spin it up, do the unusual, unpredictable and spin it to the wide channels and, and have a go and I did my Elra refereeing course 15 years ago how long it was and at that point we were told blow for things that they call it contextual judgment I think was mm-hmm. the terminology they used and that basically says blow for things that affect the game don't blow for someone being lazy and not getting back with why is it referees don't penalise the scrum half for going in at the side when they're kicking the ball back through their own rook because there's not a law in the book that says that's allowed and it's it's illegal to, to all intents and purposes it's illegal to join the rook from the side, not bind on and kick the ball back for everyone's legs. Is it that the RFU accept that box kicks are part of the game and they don't want to get rid of it? Because you see all the rule changes that we've discussed earlier, the, the, the one to kick it into 22 to get your own line out and all the other ones, the scrum engage to try and make the things stay up to make it more appealing. Why aren't they clamping down on what they've already got in their arsenal, which is the law book, to make these changes to make the game more exciting? I'll spin it on its head. How would you make... what? What I agree with the box kicking and the scrum offs entering illegally to drag the ball back they said was it five seconds they got um they said the the the, i'm sure is it a year or two ago they said the ball can only be in there five seconds the famous clip of joe marler saying come on you're boring me yeah um they don't penalize that i don't think i've ever seen any referee penalize the scrum off taking too long um so that was a pointless rule how would you change what what rules would you change to see more entertaining, different game? I would, like I say, I'd start pinging scrum halves for doing that. I'd say as soon as the scrum half puts a finger on it, like the good old days, it's out. Not now when you... So you could dive on it if they if they yeah. use their foot to get back. And okay. I'd say that um, forwards would be like... The referees often call it swimming now. In malls especially you see it, but I've played in games where you had to stop the opponents going around the side by grabbing them and getting their headlock and pulling them back into it. Yeah. But that took me out of the game and it made the, the scrum half want to get the ball out quicker because they'd send another guy around. Yeah. And you get referees at the many of the amateur level where they, they just kind of let it be a free-for-all as long as it's not running in from 30 yards. And I'd, I'd allow what they call swimming. So I'd allow players once they're in a ruck to change their bind. As long as they stay bound, they could change their bind by using both well, hands. Interestingly, Nick Azikwe, well, Saracens, I always think Saracens study the rules. Uh, a good friend of mine, Joe Shaw's now head coach down there. And he. it looks like they study the rules and find ways to beat the game or beat the rules. And there was Nick Azikwe and Mario Toje came up with a good idea where one would grab a hold of the rook, the other one would edge his way up on his own player, get close to the scrum off, so it was easy to charge yeah. down. They did that on driving malls as well. But they... they edge that out for me the 50 22 is not they, they thought it would create a, a better game a running rugby game it hasn't i think a court a, maybe i don't know causation of that is 4g pitches the ball doesn't skid off as much it bounces up so it's very hard to sort of hit a perfect one mm. and it skids off the pitch and, and goes out for it uh, in the 22 because there's, there's now it's very predictable th- on a well, you say oh, a rugby yeah. ball, bounce of a ball, but mm. I find it's a lot more predictable than it is if you're playing on grass or mud or whatever. Yeah, mm. yeah. I do think as well because of the 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 um the rubber crumb, it bounces up more rather mm. than skids skids off more. And there is a couple of uh, there's 
Is there four or five 4G pitches now? Gloucester, Falcons, um, Worcester, Worcester have say, got yeah. one. Yeah, um, uh, so it's a hard one. I do. I honestly don't know. For me, I would be challenging the coaches to play more entertaining rugby. And yes, I know coaches have have got. They would look at it as we've got to win the game, whatever, whatever. But for me, you've got to entertain whilst mm. winning. Did it have a Did it have a positive effect on Super Rugby? Not on the crowds, but I think the Premiership and within within England, it's 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 a, a slightly different <laughs> dynamic. I think we've just got to continually sort of tinker with the rules slightly to find a way so we can we can see a more entertaining thing. Game. Another thing that um, I find that quite often we end up talking about on the podcast is the contentious decisions a lot of things go to TMO now as opposed to the referee giving the benefit of the doubt or put the ball down or whatever um, and we heard it with the, the red card at the weekend with Callum Chick it went to the TMO they made a quick decision do you think the TMO is clamoured for by players and clubs or is it it's good box office for TV like something the pundits can talk about is it something that the, there is a need for in the game in your eyes as an ex-player did you enjoy getting punched because you could punch someone back or would you rather <laughs> or would you rather it was uh, now it's policed the way it is yeah, today I, again the game's changed we, we at the end of my career we had TMOs but they were nowhere near as good as what they are now you can't get away with a punch these days are the TMOs good for the game yeah because I think they've got better and better and better what helps in rugby compared to football is the referees are mic'd up and you can hear the questions they're asking the TMO so everyone is in the know and then you can visually see on the uh, on the replay okay that's the decision they've made and it's because the questions these are the questions they've asked and I do think it's good for the game and I don't think it holds up the game that much because they're quite swift on their decision making you, you mentioned sort of back when I first started they used to, there was a fight every game possibly 16 if not 30 man brawls spilling over into the crowd there was what I remember having one at the um, at the shed in Gloucester which was there was a couple of supporters getting involved in that as well but uh, you, you just that was rugby at the time and you, you just got on with it to my knowledge the, when things changed was if you're a, a Newcastle fan there was a, a great day where Lee Bowyer and Kieran Dyer, Kieran Dyer mm. um, it was Aston Villa wasn't it yeah, yeah. Aston Villa they had a spat I mean, that was handbags. That was proper handbags. But afterwards, unfortunately, I think one of their shirts got ripped or whatever. It was on TV. It was on Match of the Day. They kept on slow-moing it. And I believe they got charged with a fray off Northern Rear Police. And alongside that, the RFU went, oh my goodness, if they're getting charged with a fray with handbags, what might potentially happen with us with a 30-man brawl where Danny Krukoch is punching someone's face through the back of his skull and then that was the catalyst for the rules that they brought in now which was sort of any punch thrown there was a serious serious ban I think it's 12 weeks or it, it, it used to be 12 weeks I think but they've settled down now and obviously now the the boys have uh, the boys who play now have grown up with not being allowed to punch so they don't punch and if there is anything, it's mainly shirt collars getting grabbed and whatever. The, the the only person I think in the in the in the Falcon squad that possibly grew up with that would have been maybe Will Welsh. I don't know if he's old enough or Ferns. Um, Might just been a Friday night with him. Friday night <laughs> with Gavin Henson. Yeah, exactly. um, that's that's still a belter. On that's YouTube. a video, yeah. Absolute belter. <laughs> One punch, bosh, sit down. So um, yeah. So that was uh, the catalyst for th- that rule change with sort of 30-man brawls and stuff. Was, we can all thank uh, Lee Bowyer and Kieran Dyer. And aside from that obvious talking point at the weekend, I think one of the main things that everyone came away from that game was um, we lost by a point. Everyone was like, quite happy with the performance. And compared to what it had been beforehand, what goes on behind the scenes after, I'm sure you'll admit, a couple of not-so-good performances, what 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 happens? What's the mood like? We've played amateur sport and got stuck in a rut. Is it the same impression level? What What's the difference? <sighs> yeah, I mean, you get... Get stuck in a rut. Winning is a, a habit, but unfortunately, so is losing. And um, Falcons at the minute are in a losing rut, a losing habit. How do you break that? Play Bath. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, yeah. But Bath, Bath are same with us. They put in some good performances in the last couple of weeks. Um, they've got a good young, talented uh, bunch of lads. But when you're young, you get stuck in a rut. It's very hard to get out of that rut, especially when you've got an inexperienced director of rugby like Stuart Hooper. We've got a very experienced director of rugby uh, in Dean and 
he will know he's been in these ruts before. He will hopefully, hopefully be able to pull us out of the back of it. He started against Exeter. Everyone's heard the interview that he did at the end. I possibly don't agree with him on uh, the Callum Chick incident. I do think with the modern day rules, it was a red. But I have huge sympathy for him. And uh, I think it was Brottle Bank uh, who said that that was never a penalty to them. Poor, poor refereeing decision. Help should have been helped by a linesman and that wasn't a penalty to win it if we'd uh, if it had gone the other way what a result that would have been with 60 minutes with 14 men and you asked why they've had that performance compared to previous weeks I would say the weather was atrocious the wind was blowing an absolute hooli down to 14 men that is a good leveller but there's other catalysts to the game I don't know what they've done in, in, in training that week to get themselves up for it that's up to the coaches but it, it obviously had worked but then there was the the, the sort of the emotional tie that uh, saying saying bye to Mark Wilson uh, him walking over the pitch I'm sure he might have said some words beforehand to the boys or or before the team run and I know he's a very light uh, and well respected man the, the sort of playing out of respect for him but also also for the team and you know what I just think sometimes you, they just fronted up. They just hmm. got the bit between their teeth and fronted up, and they did really well. Young young kids, I really like the uh, Will Hiddenwood. I think he is one for the future. He controlled the game reasonably well, well, well as well as uh, the scrum off Calametti did really well as well. So the, these young kids come in; they, they're not they're not fearful of Exeter. They just so just another game. So they, they did well, and unfortunately, the result didn't go for us. But hopefully that tomorrow uh, against Bath, a team in a similar situation as what we are, will get a result. Do you think the defence against Exeter looked good because Exeter play a lot of pretty bondy stuff at times? Or do you think if one of the teams the prior weeks had played in the same way Exeter did, would we have defended just as well? Or is it that you, when you're in this rut, when you go into training on a Monday morning, is there a completely different vibrancy around the place when you're coming off the back of a couple of poor defeats to when you've come off that? Or is it because everyone's professional? They're always 110% in training. What is it? No, it's never 110% in training. Everyone's carrying a knock. Everyone have got their own problems. There, it won't be uh, a, a 100% positivity. Everyone's positive, positive all over the shop because they've come off how many dis- defeats in a row? I'm not, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but they're, they're, they're in a rut. It's the coaches, uh, captain, senior members of that squad to sort of pick the boys up, say, right, we'll get on with this week and, and, and we, we go again. So when you when you talk about the different different way that Exeter approached the game from the previous week, the weather caused that. The, the, you, to get three passes effectively through the hands, you couldn't do it in that in, in that weather. So it forced teams to play one-out rugby. It's still a battle, battle for the game line and take nothing away from those boys they smashed Exeter back time and time and time again and made it very difficult for them to break us down. And that's possibly why you saw them kick a lot, but also possibly why you saw us kick a lot to gain territory and try and make them make mistakes off off those box kicks or, or high balls or whatever. If we look ahead to the rest of the season, hopefully we'll get winning against Bath and it's positive news here on him. Obviously, there's no relegation this season. Do you feel like if there's no relegation ever again, that would be a good thing? What are your viewpoints on ring fencing? It's talked about a lot, and there's a lot of lack of clarity from the RFU about various so, things. So yeah, there is a lot of lack of clarity. I don't think the RFU RFU know exactly what's going to happen. I know that certain teams have to apply to come up. Doncaster and Ealing are, are two of those teams. I don't know whether they've passed the the um, regulations that that the RFU stipulate that you've got to have to come up. I think ring fencing it is is a positive thing for rugby in general. I know that but, but realistically at this time who's going to who who is going to come up and better the premiership. We've just seen last season the second best team in the championship get beaten 100 odd nil off the first best team in Saracens. So I would question whether at that point adding Ealing to the premiership is going to add value to the competition. If they come up Next year, are they going to add value? Possibly. It may take them a couple of years. If Doncaster come up, are they going to add value? The same. What I would say about Doncaster opposed to Ealing is Doncaster spread uh, premiership. Uh, they, they, they create a club in Yorkshire, the biggest county, that spreads rugby union across the uh, ac- across England, which is only a positive thing. Sorry, music's coming on in the background now. They're <laughs> testing the PA system. But I would also add that credit 
in COVID times to all owners of the rugby clubs because it cost them a lot of money to to keep Premiership uh, clubs running through how long was it a year and a half without any fans and credit to them and I think ring fencing it adds a level of security to those owners now as well because they're putting in millions to then potentially get relegated is a bit harsh on them so I mean Philip and I have had different viewpoints about ring fencing I've actually always been very favourable for ring fencing probably because a lot of the points you've said there and I think for me it is security for example I believe that Falcons are in a more secure place if there is no relegation because I think relegation you you must know yourself is horrible for the club financially of all sorts um building on a point you kind of mentioned there briefly in terms of will a promoted team add anything so if you do say have an Ealing or Doncaster that does come in and then it's ring fenced with one of those or both those teams in the premiership could you get a situation like you have Italy in the Six Nations where you hope that they kind of can build on over the course of a few years and, and improve in, a, in an environment or will we still see that gap because the gap between the premiership and championship is so huge let's hope that they would do better than Italy <laughs> have done in the last 20 years Exeter did it and Exeter did it very well the grew in the right manner it helps that they they are in a, a ruby uh, a, a ruby heartland down there and their support is huge but Doncaster are. Doncaster could potentially get huge huge uh, support in that region for them I do think it needs an element of luck but it also needs someone uh, a wealthy man to come yeah. and back them have they got that I'm not sure but again just a massive uh, a massive pro for ring fencing is through my career, I won't mention any names, but there has been a lot of people come into rugby clubs that, in my opinion, have taken a pension, have not trained hard, have robbed a living, so to speak. A lot of them had been foreigners that you could say have had good careers and then they're coming here and they, they don't add value to it, uh, to or, or, or they're not value for money. What I would say ring fencing is, is now directors of rugby, Dean Richards, let's say, wouldn't have to go out and buy those players. Mm. He could trust the young kids in the in the academy. I know there's a young winger, Chinder, very good scrum off. He's trusted now Will Hiddenwood, mm. and he's blooded him into the uh, into the uh, into the Premiership. Would he have done that three years ago if relegation was on the cards? Only he would know that. But I think that not having relegation will allow younger, talented players to come in and not have their way blocked by potentially a journeyman, a foreigner that is on a lot of money that doesn't add value to, to the club or the competition. And then added to that, that can only have positive effects on uh, England rugby, as in the, sort of the RFU, England rugby, Eddie Jones's squad. And then, obviously, we said a lot in the last few minutes is money. Over the years, money has become a bigger and bigger and bigger factor in the game. Do you think Falcons the way we are, the increase in money in the game is beneficial for us in terms of being able to compete? Or do you think... The more money that enters the game, we'll end up getting left behind. Um, good question. So, is left behind? Uh, <laughs> here's a question for: Is left behind mean that we don't cheat on the uh, salary cap? Because mm-hmm. I guarantee you, Newcastle Falcons have never cheated on the salary cap. Whereas you could say other clubs have, and they have grown as a club. So, this is right. a question back to you. Do I, you I think guess, other... When I say left behind, I mean if the salary cap increases, or oh, at the minute we're not near the salary cap, I don't believe. If the salary cap was to increase, we still wouldn't be near it, but other clubs could push their wage bill up, and therefore you'd have more players or players of higher calibre or more marquee signs going to some of the clubs down south where we could just never sustain that if we're going to be a viable business. For a start, I would, I, I would put it, uh, to you that Seymour does very well he, he has put his money where his mouth is and he has uh, really really supported the club with regards to salary uh, and Dean buying the players he wanted uh, pushing the salary cap and um, I think it's all you, you've got to run it as a, as, a, as a business and unfortunately at the minute we get six average 6,000 crowd if we could pump that up to nine we can really really compete on the salary cap, if we can get a couple of full houses here, uh, we can we can really compete on the salary cap. Don't know whether we could get marquee players. For me, it's it's about an entertaining an entertainment industry at the minute up at Newcastle, which is putting bums on seats. How do you do that? You play a brand of rugby, what we talked about before, which is entertaining, and people get excited about. You put the ball in Radwan's hands, who my kids want to emulate. Don't know about like he excites he excites a lot of other fans. We get the ball in his hands. We get the ball in Jamie Blumeyer's hands. Like, and we mm-hmm. keep the. But then we've also got to keep these players at the club. 
We've got to keep Will Hiddenwood at the club. And we've got to grow a squad around these young, exciting English players. Callum Chick's another one. Trevor Davison. Mm. Local local kids from Pontyland. Did you grow up school with him? Uh, he was a few years below me. But yeah, but yeah, he played at Pontyland at the time. Pontyland. Yeah. Pontyland. Um, Trev Davison went to St Cuthbert's. We've got to create a squad around these local young English talents that want to play rugby, want to excite people, and then hopefully we'll get bums on seats. Uh, that's then how we really, really compete yeah. um, within within a wage structure and uh, I'd not cheat. <laughs> and I'd say one of the things that makes it makes me a lot prouder than I am sad when we don't get a big signing when I see when I see the homegrown talent come through and I feel well, not like the club is. <laughs> I'm not disappointed, but it's always a shame when you get players moving off who've come through the club, going elsewhere. And if you, it would give me great pride to be able to have these people having a like Mark Wilson, apart from the year at Seal, but um, the whole career here and be something that you can really cling on to and feel part of it. You get a lot of clubs where they, they clearly just get mercenaries in. Yeah, I, I don't. That's feel what like, I'm, yeah. yeah, I mean that's what I was talking about before. Mercenaries is a perfect mm-hmm. word for it. The lads that just come in and don't add value. They're not bothered about the result. Mark Wilson, Mr. Falcon, there. Yeah, yeah. He cared every day how he trained, how he played. And that's possibly, I don't know, I wasn't around the squad for the last six years, why we're producing so many good young back rowers. Callum mm. Trick, Josh Basham. They're all trying to emulate him and Will Welsh. Will Welsh another one. Mr. Mm. Again, Mr. Falcon loves loves coming into work every day. And he, he is a mis- he's professional as well. Can we build a squad around young northeast lads that are very capable of playing Premiership rugby? I would say yes, we can. And we've got we've got so many good young academy lads coming through that there's no reason why we can't. It's just keeping them here. I mean, that really is the literally sort of mini dollar question, isn't it? It's just kind of keeping that core of really upcoming local talent. I mean, it's all very well having like a conveyor belt of local talent coming through, but it's all about kind of keeping that yeah. core together. Because if you just have a conveyor belt, they'll stay for a year or two or whatever and then go. But it's it's about keeping that core group, really. I, I mean, I, I, I would look at it and go, okay, how did Leicester keep all their superstars really back in the day mm. people went and signed for Leicester went and signed for Wasps when they were winning things because you went and played in a winning club and then the likelihood was if you were starring for them you were playing international rugby could we emulate that not by buying these players in but by coaching coaching northeast talent to become that that would be my hope that's a dream isn't well, it that's the yeah, dream but I also think on the flip side you end up without them but if Sean Robinson played for a different club he would be in Eddie Jones' squad right now I think that the way he's been playing last couple of seasons but especially just look at him that, that he was phenomenal last week and so why was, do you think do you think we're an unpopular club well, with I, Eddie Jones because I, then I could I could flip it and go we've got Radwan Jamie Bermeyer plays for England, no. but he doesn't play for us. Uh, he, he sits yeah, yeah. on the bench. Um, so why do you think do you think Eddie Jones? I, I, I think there's probably a bit of the rugger buggers and the RFU don't have the same conversations with Newcastle Falcons directors of rugby as they may directors of rugby in bars in London. I don't know what the reason is, but to tell me Nick Ezekwe is starting second row for England when there's I look, not even just Sean Roberts, there's a lot of other second rows that I'd have ahead of him. I feel incredibly sorry for Adam Radvan because he did the Saxons, not called the Saxons anymore, but he did the Saxons in the summer. And he didn't put a foot wrong. He's got a hat trick on his debut. And then he's been basically told to go and hold the tackle bags for as the layman says. I'm sure he's doing a lot more than that. And I think it's probably uh, quite degrading. I think it's probably quite, actually, probably quite degrading. Um, uh, we've got to remember, I love Adam Rabban as a player. I think he's superb here. But we've got to remember, a couple of years ago, he was playing for Darling Mountain Park at that level. And he's growing as a player, and he's got very good very quickly. But can we can we then just jump him into an England team and 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 play Six Nation rugby? Or as I think Eddie Jones will be saying, is you're superb at what you do. You've got certain work-ons to work on to become that finished product at international rugby. Go away and work on it because the current wingers are slightly better all-round game. I think Adam Radwan's the most elusive runner that England has, ball in hand, but. Has he got work on for international rugby that he needs? He, he needs to improve. To add to that, I'd say Connor Collett falls in a similar bracket of they're specialist players in one position, and therefore to have them on the bench is a bit more of a gamble. So you'd, if you're Eddie Jones and you've got three back subs, you have a fly half and a scrum half, then you've got one person you need to cover the three quarters and the outside backs. And could Radwan play? centre for England probably not so then you've got to think well if you, I think there's probably more chance of him starting for England than there is being a sub yeah, and I agree with I'd you. say Connor Collett he's been phenomenal 
times he's played this year. But similarly, when you've got the back row that we've had starting, he's a specialist open side. He he, he could pro- probably quite ably play the other positions at an amateur level, but at the top level, is he going to be able to compete at six or eight? Probably not the same as other people you could have on the bench, such as a Van Vaart who can fill a second row, or Carl Ferns who can play across the back row, or Welch is another one who can play various positions. And I almost feel like players can be too too good and too specialised to break into a squad because they don't get the time on the bench. Uh, with regards to Conor Kellett, Right, I think he's a very, very talented player. He's a specialist, specialised player. And I think certain games, he may not suit it. But mm. games, for instance, at the weekend, he never saw his head out of a rook. Mm. And I, it wouldn't surprise me if he was close to 30 tackles at the weekend because he just his work rate's phenomenal. And he's dipping his head in everywhere. Certain games, that's really good. Other games, that might not suit the game plan of Dean Richards, Dave Walder. You may want a really a- aggressive ball carrier in... Carl Ferns, or I want to say George Graham, Gary Graham. Um, <laughs> we can deal with George. We can deal with George as well. But yeah, so so it, it, selection may have a lot to do with the tactical approach of the game. Same as Radwan was on the bench at the weekend. Have we tactically talked about something and worked on it for Exeter that he hasn't been privy to because he's been down in England and they've just decided to sit him on the bench this time? Possibly, don't know. But there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes than just he's the best player. Mm-hmm. We're sticking him in, mm-hmm. unless back in the day you were you are a superb player, Johnny Wilkinson, that is just the number one on the team sheet all the time. It's funny you mention George Graham because on the sighting panel, if you read the RFU disciplinary reports, like I occasionally do when we're involved, one of the people on the panel was called Gareth Graham, and then this ref- this referee at the weekend is going to be called Dean Richards. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> so, it's one of these ones where you start going around the circles of how many names are there out there. Sometimes we use them all up. So I was asking, I was actually asking my dad. The um, so is Dean not allowed? I don't know yet. Is Dean allowed in the stadium? It says he's allowed to spectate, but mm. I haven't. I, I don't know. I doubt he's, he's allowed. He's not to allowed to be involved in the team. The sort of a planning. So, the so I imagine the he wouldn't be. He, obviously, he's all week. He's, he's preparing the team. I imagine he's not allowed anywhere That's near the right. players. He so he'd probably be sat in, in this box we are now watching the game from here. With his phone or something. Well, <laughs> possibly mic'd up, mic'd up, well, to Mickey Ward. How can you stop it? Because. Yeah. Most of the time, directors of rugby sit in the stands anyway now. Yeah. So, what, apart from the half-time talk, what is he actually not able to do? Yeah, that, and that's the, exactly the question I was asking. You yeah. can't have an RFU, or can you? Have an RFU judge next to him, making sure he doesn't talk doesn't to someone who's well, texting him. He'll be hi- if he's not in here, he'll be hiding somewhere yeah. in the ground where no one knows where he is. It's probably Mike Dunn somewhere. It's quite hard to miss. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, there's plenty of cubby holes. We'll find them. Yeah, see next to me, Grabtree Marks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we, we could get him some moustache and a fake beard and a hat something like that so you mentioned the academy earlier on development of players at the minute outside we've got um, the rugby league academy warming up what's the overall plan with Thunder at Kingston Park because they they came here a few years ago and they're actually performing extremely well is it going to be player interchange like Ewan Stevens has come through rugby league and would you look at some of the rugby league players and convert them to union or is it two fully successful clubs in their own right what's the big master Um, plan I think to go from court to court is very difficult. Yes, Ewan Stevens has done very well when he's come from league to union, but he's done it at a young age. I think these boys and uh, the way they train, they're rugby league boys and that's them done. Unless Dean sees sees fit that they're good enough to add to his current crop of players. But I think you don't get Dennis Betts in to manage your, your manager rugby league team if you're just using it as a feeder team for your rugby union team. You get Dennis Betts in to get us in the Super League and I think that is the end goal is it going to happen overnight definitely not it's growing and it's growing at a tidy little rate at the minute we've got some very talented young players and hopefully come two three years down the line we will see uh, Super League getting played here we had Wigan here in a friendly yeah. uh, it was a great learning experience What from what I've heard for the boys we've just got to give them time have patience with them and, and we'll see where they can get to yeah when that Wigan friendly in the second half especially they did a yeah, they put a real good show of themselves yeah. out there. Um, also, I suppose for the listeners, season ticket holders as well, um, they're at home to witness. As if you're a season ticket holder, you get a free ticket for that. So if you do have a Monday evening free and you don't fancy watching the TV, um, yeah. it's worth popping down there. Giving a bit it's of a support. good little atmosphere. Yeah. It is really good. The fans get properly involved in it, and it's a, yeah. the, the, it's a good spectacle. With the with the Wigan thing as well, the uh, I know we were COVID ravaged at the mm. time, so it was a lot of young kids playing. And at the first half, they had a couple of ex-Aussies mm. playing internationals, a huge Islander that we struggled to deal with. But in the second half, mm. we did really, really well. 
So credit to them, and hopefully we'll um, see more of that. So, I mean, we sort of talking about the club at the moment or the, the, the league at the moment. If we look a bit further ahead, about five, ten years' time, I mean, obviously you still have links to the clubs, you get insights that many of us just simply won't have. I guess, where do you see the club being in about five to ten years, or is it, in many ways, very difficult to kind of judge that at the moment? No, it's not. I think senior management directors, they sit down and have targets just like any other teams at the club do with selling season tickets and whatever, they'll, they'll have a two, three, five-year game plan. I would like to see a mainly English-based team, a mainly Northeast-based group of lads playing a brand of rugby that puts bums on seats. And for me, that would be... There's an element of winning, of course. You, you can't just have a, a, a losing rugby team that think you're going to put 10,000 people in the stand. I think we've got to uh, have a, a winning brand, which is exciting. We're moving the ball around. We're getting the ball in Adam Radwan's hands. We're, we're, we are scoring tries for fun. And I'd also like to see uh, extensions, the North Stand sort of dolled up a little bit. And then hopefully have uh, on the East Stand have two other sitting areas. Where the temporary ones were that season when they're building this one. Yeah, I would quite... Well, if, if you don't have sort of permanent fixtures, all a lot of rugby clubs are having... Semi-permanent seated seated areas. Harlequins have two at the either end. Ealing have got a few. There's there's, there's a lot of clubs that that, that use them, and I, I just think I would quite like to create a better atmosphere in the club by having those two areas. That we're looking across the pitch now. Those two areas, sort of, with a lot of fans in, creating a better atmosphere. And and for me as well, where the, the sky of, of the BT sorry cameras sit, Fulton's always looks empty. A friend has said to me, why do they put the cameras on the top of the West End? I guess it's the height. Do you want to know? Go on. Because something to do with the sun and coming, the over the right. sta- coming over mm-hmm. this stand and it would create a glare if the if the cameras were on, mm-hmm. the, on the East End. He's, he's not from the region, but he said, are all the stands as small as that? And I said, right. no, that's the that's the historic bit from when it was so, yeah. like back in the day. And um, I remember when the plans were made for when the development got done, you had the corners closed off and all the rest of it. Yeah. Was that a glossy billboard, or was it? Is it still a, the ideal for the future? I know Seymour's put in plan and permission for the north stand for a roof to be on it, offices, gym underneath. But it it all takes time. Yeah. It all takes time, and you've got a warrant building that. Got to get off the field. They got you, on the field. Sorry, they got to get that right. Get, uh, you've got to get that right. Yeah. But you've also got to warrant building that with attendance yeah. wise. Could we? I imagine we could sell out boxes then, because we're. Corporate-wise, we're, we're, we're very successful with that. We've just got to grow it slowly. Uh, so, yes, there was a plan to have it all circular, so to speak, all locked in like a cake tin, but it hasn't come to fruition. Can it? Yes. Five, ten years down the line. Could could we do that? Yes, I, th- I think we could. I also think I would like these boys that are watching now in the uh, in the Super League, mm. playing the, the likes of Wigan, St. Helens, Warrington, yeah, would that help the rugby union? 100% it would, because it just puts a spotlight on this stadium. When when they hopefully do get to that stage, would you do dual code season tickets? Because at the minute you've kind of got it, but it's only the rugby union that really gets it. Whereas um, there's not, in the region, there's not a fan base for rugby league anywhere near the same way, but you've got things like all the students, a lot of them in Newcastle come from the, what we, we don't consider the north, but the north and the rugby league heartlands, a lot of them, end up studying here or be a cracker one for a away trip. So mm-hmm. what's the what's the fan base like for the rugby league in the future? I think we've got to grow it. We've got to grow it because uh, to get into the Super League, you've got you've got to have thousands mm-hmm. to get there to warrant. Would you have dual season tickets? It would be pricey season ticket, I would imagine, if you, you were allowed to go to Premiership and, and Super League. But for me, that would be a way to grow a rugby league fan base by creating rugby union players to come across there and watch that and see the spectacle. I think we've got it, it's a different atmosphere environment in rugby league grounds as well. Mm. It's it's in between rugby union and football with the chanting and, and things like that after a try scored and all the all, yeah. all, everything all the hoobala that goes along with that. So yeah, yeah my my biggest wouldn't say it's concern, but I think that if you look at the the fan base in Newcastle, it's Newcastle United, and it always will be the. Rugby Union, it tends to be people that are associated with their local rugby union clubs from childhood level. And given we don't have that many rugby league clubs in the area, the people that would be interested are those that have moved here at some point in their life or are here for a while. But I feel, is there 
if you were going to be interested in rugby, would you not already be interested in the union, or would it be that league suddenly appeals to you? Is it are you appealing to the same group already? Come to Kingston. So I know that the rugby league lads that work behind the scenes are trying to grow the rugby uh, rugby league clubs. I know there's Gated Storm. Cromlington Rockets. Rockets. Yeah. Uh, I think Bay. there's one in Whitley, Whitley Bay, Bay and there's a yeah. Peter Lee one. Wall's End. So Darrow. they're growing them. That takes time. And yes, five isn't enough to warrant a, 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 a huge fan base, but they're growing them. And five may become ten in ten years' time. And as, as a geography graduate, I like my graphs. If you had your Venn diagram, yeah. are the two circles on your Venn diagram overlapping for that set of fans or are they apart i yes if you... i think there's i think there's a quite a, a big overlap it's how you convince rugby union fans to come to rugby league how i would do it personally is i'll buy a marquee player we've got dennis betts who is a, a rugby league legend but he's a manager are people going to come and watch him no but they may come and watch the new the the, the new dennis betts come and, and, and sign for for the thunder but that's totally up to them. Yeah, uh, you've got to, you've got to have a marquee player, I would say, to come and get wanting kids to come and watch it to emulate. I want to be this player. Yeah, because I think um, I suppose Gateshead have a fantastic season in the very near future. I can see the situation where we're saying all these positive things now, but it would end up being that the away fans have more people on a stag do here, and it's a great away trip for people coming up from Yorkshire, Lancashire, wherever. And there'll probably be more away fans and home fans for a year or two until it really takes off. Takes off, yeah. And yeah. Is that a bad thing? No. It's no. fans in the ground. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just how we market it. They've obviously got to do their business by getting promoted in two, three years' time and, and, and mm. getting there. But you, you, you can't just, in my opinion, you can't just throw money at it and, and get them there by creating a team of young superstars when we get there we've got one man and his dog watching it in the Super League it's just, yeah. it's, it's just silly yeah. to do that you've just got to grow it slowly and put it up ring fence it before we get there <laughs> oh god we ring fence it oh maybe so that's it yeah so with the Thunder that's the, their end, end goal however long that takes I think Seymour's fully behind getting them there uh, along with Dennis Betts so. and I guess um, the final question I've got for any of the the fans have managed to endure it. Um, I don't think that we'll have many kids that have spent over an hour listening to us, but certainly be family members who might have young uh, sons and daughters playing rugby and both codes, and it's probably very applicable to a lot of sports. Um, what would your advice be for the youth wanting to get to the top of probably any sport, not just rugby? Is it training, natural talent, opportunities, coaching, the age at which you develop? What makes... What made you successful the way you are when you see so many other players get spat out halfway through a join late? What, what would you say is the perfect recipe or what would you be your advice to any budding youngsters? Well, when I, when I was growing up playing, I lived and breathed rugby. I never had a, a rugby ball out of my hand. I was the youngest of two. My elder brother just used to beat me up all the time and then that toughened me up, so to speak, for rugby. But I was... I was Constantly at a rugby club, my, my rugby club Newcastle Gosset, which is just I was playing at Bullock's Dead just over the road there. I was lucky enough to go to RGS, which is a rugby playing school. I was playing rugby every day of the week, and, and I mainly focused on. I always wanted to spin past the ball. I was constantly throwing the ball up in the air, catching yeah. it, pretend to side. Ended up in the front row. Ended up the front row. Well, I used to play centre, and then I got slow <laughs> and a bit fat. So uh, it's just slowly got pushed further and further. But I constantly worked on skills. And for a young kid wanting to be a successful rugby player, I would say work on the basics, catching, passing. Peripheral vision is a massive thing for me. You've got to know where your teammates are all around you so you can just do things naturally. You've got to be able to... I see it all the time with a mini rugby to catch the ball on the chest through sort of insecurity or, or comfort. You've got to learn to be able to catch the ball in two hands So because everything happens quicker. Uh, you can catch the ball in two hands and then you've got your head up to become an elusive runner. As we said before, the uh, all these pro, pro rugby players are quicker and faster and stronger. But when you, when you get a bit older, 15, let's say, th- th- don't forget about those sort of basic skills because I see a lot of people go, right, all these mass Trevor Davis, he can bench 200 kilos. I've got to go and bench 200 kilos. No, that has happened over a long period of time for Trevor, training hard. Also, we came through the amateur route. Yeah, he came He came through with Mickey Ward. I played with him a, a bit of blading, and he was throwing beer barrels around for a living four or five years ago. That's how, originally, why he was so strong. So, um, 
it, it, you've got to keep a focus on your skills and real basic skills. Learn how to low chop tackle. Learn how to catch a ball off your hands. Learn how to spin pass. Adam Brocklebank did an amazing spin pass over the top. And then the rest will come. The strength will come. The size will come for you. You can go to the gym, but don't just focus on squatting, bench pressing. It's it's all got to be one. A lot of the trend at the minute is seeing big players. Do you think, as a 14, 15, 16 year old, you need to be three stone heavier than your opponent? Or would it be better to focus that time you would spend in the gym on, like you say, catching pass and the ball control? And then when you're a bit older and you've got natural size, then to put the weight on. Um, I don't know whether growing up you had it, uh, you knew of players that had issues because they put weight on and the skeleton yeah. got mal shaped or whatever. So, so who's the best? Who, ask you question. Who's the best scrum off in the world? Well, it's Nordic Kalametti, isn't it? <laughs> Nordic Kalametti. From last week, yeah. Fafty Club. Zebassif? Zebig? Zebig? No. The as well, I guess, there's another one. Well, exactly, there. yeah. Tiny. Yeah. Really skillful, nippy. Mm. Just pace, everything. Everything skill wise, he has. Who's the best seven in the world? I would say. Well, was Richard McCall? Was he massive? No. Was he? Did he look like he pumped weights for a living? No. He was just a hooper. Yeah. yeah. He, he, they're not massive, they are just good. At rugby, being rugby players, there's no bench press, there's no squat rack on a rugby field. Curry again, Curry. Mm. Yes, they are very strong human beings, but they're focused on being good rugby players first. Then the weights and and the the physical size of things comes comes with it. So I'll yeah. Sorry, what was the question? I forgot. I guess do you spend when you're not doing all your homework and all the stuff parents make you do? Do you spend your hour a night or a couple of hours or time at the weekends or whatever? Do you spend it getting fit, getting big, working on skills? What out of those three, what would you prioritise, or would you say it's a balance? It was. It's it, that is all a balance. But you can find anything on YouTube. I would watch. I, I would watch a lot of things on YouTube. I know there's training sessions, England video, their training sessions. You can watch and try and emulate your your heroes by watching watching clips of them. Watch clips of rugby games. Wonder why Mark. Look at Marcus Smith. Look, why look at Marcus Smith and just go right. Why has he done that? What, look at the timing of pass that he's, do, that, that he's done. Where is he actually looking when the ball's over there? Is he looking at the ball? Probably not. He's looking at, at the defence to see where the gaps are. And then when he wants the ball, he goes, give me the ball and I'm going to attack that. So there's loads of tiny, small things that young kids possibly don't realise that these full-time professionals are doing. But if you watch clips of them or interviews of them or you can even YouTube coaching interviews with coaches Eddie Jones is brilliant in the way he talks and listen to them as well not mm. just it's it's not so to speak just everything done on the rugby field skills and so it's 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 the the homework behind it and it's the same with even the pros do it now they study for two three hours a week on line out Scotty McLeod does it with the line outs and gets Sean Robinson in and all the line out callers they study line outs because it's their bread and butter. It's the whole aspect of rugby. Is, there's so much to it. But for a young kid, don't focus on one thing. Focus on all of it, and it'll make you a rounded rugby player. Great. Thank you very much. It's been brilliant speaking to you. Thank you very and, much as um, well for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Again, sometime. Yes, hundred percent. Hopefully, you. I tell you what. Should we? Should we re-listen to this in ten years' time? And then we'll see where we are with the rugby union and rugby league, and then you'll realise. I was talking absolute rubbish. I hope this could be before then, but yeah, we certainly yeah. do. Thank, right. you, very Thank much. you very much. Cheers. Thank you very much. Cheers. Yeah. Thank you.